you want another Coca-Cola? Uh, might as well. Thanks, man. Gotta get hopped up on something. You got me, I'm not going to reference the brand again, though, this time. We can't do that every episode. Do you want a cola? Yeah, do you, yeah, do you want a cola? <laughs> what kind of cola best suits you when you listen to death metal? That's the question. Co- cola, koala bear. Welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. Oh, we're rolling? Yeah, why oh, you, you caught that uh, marvelous marsupial uh, uh, improvisation going on there? You know, I'm just trying to keep our intros like our colas. Cola. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm trying to keep our intros like my colon flowing. Whoa. Ooh. Oh, my God. Too much info. High fiber podcast. Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck, coming in with TMI on the Heavy Hole Podcast. How you doing over there, Tom? I'm doing all right, man. No complaints. How's That's it going, right. man? So he's Tom. I introduced him. It's my yeah. buddy. I, what's what's new, man? Everything all right? I, look, I, we all know the C yeah. sharp no, studying. Nothing. It's boring now. It's even boring hearing that. So, what have you been listening to? What's going on? I haven't been listening to anything with guitars in it because I think about guitar too much when I listen. So I've been listening to some electronic music. Kind of been getting back into Venetian snares, some of the older stuff. Doll, uh-huh. doll, doll. Find Candice, like the kind of darker. It, it's almost spacey. It's so fast and intense that. It's like background noise. So I find that good to study to sometimes. I was going to say, that sounds like what you'd want to listen to as you're like studying this you know, complicated computer programming. This kind of, yeah. either that or like the Matrix Core type music like we already discussed a few times. I put on my gas station sunglasses and yeah. I, I code. I practice when, when I'm practicing my algorithms. Yeah, and as long as you're wearing like a, a, a weird like pre-frayed thermal... That you're like it's comes frayed at the neck and the and the hems, you know, like kind of like dark earth tone thermal, mm-hmm. a choker necklace, and a an oddly shiny uh, black floor length trench coat. That's pretty much Shimmer. how I roll out of bed. Yeah, <laughs> Matrix man. I didn't watch the Matrix. I know you've been watching the films to, to unwind, man. Yeah, yeah, you gonna yeah. drop some culture on us? I, I can later. Maybe if you want to talk some films, maybe at the end I'll write okay. some down. All right, that's. Um, how thoughtful of you um, trying to keep me from segueing into my, my selfish self-indulgence uh, Take it of, away. Watching, of, of binge-watching movies all day and thinking about our guest as, as we transition. But first, I want to tell you, I did something today, speaking of self-indulgence and um, uh, my, my, my greedy... Um, uh, 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 Whatever. Yeah, it's, uh, I, you're I, just... my, my greed of smoking way too much weed and killing all my brain cells and forgetting how to ride the Segway for a minute. It's a form of greed, yeah. I chopped wood today. I chopped big logs of firewood with an axe, sir. Yes, I did. I wore a wool knit cap. I wore a vest. What are you, my neighbor? I wore a vest. Yeah, I wore, I wore those duck boots that got the rubber kind of bottoms on them, and you'd lace oh, yeah. the eye. I, I got into it. I got a little, my, na- my neighbor was like, Will, you're doing too much. But I said, fuck okay. you, man. I'm doing my thing. Uh, yeah, man. Do you I, have um, a chimney at your house? We got the chimney sweep. Okay. Uh, it's approved. Everything is safe. Good. I'm not winging it, okay? Everything is swept. Everything is certified. Um, yeah, to save on heating costs, I'm out there. Lumberjack Bill all of a sudden. I'm chopping wood. I And I have a little fire pit. Not a chiminea. A little pit that I designed off of this deck I built in the backyard. Wish Justin was here. I know, dude. This is like his type of topic, you know? And I've been burning the wood out there. When it's not, my thing now is when it snows, which has been snowing a lot lately. Yeah, well, fairly often. Dustings, many yeah, dustings. Nice dust. It's beautiful because yeah. I go out there to where I got this little fire pit in the deck. 
I fire up the old uh, um, uh, Bluetooth speaker. And I and I um what did I listen to the other day off a of band camp? Dark Descent Records sampler. Okay, that's, a lot of a lot of nice bands. Dark Descent does well. A lot of beautiful uh, little songs that I listened to out there in the dark, in the in the cold while it was snowing with the fight. It was like the perfect um, uh, Sirith Ongal, I think was the band. There was a, a perf, perfect atmosphere, man. It was a beautiful thing. I was chopping the wood this morning, man. So that was me. I just wanted to flex. That was just a pure, That's unadulterated good. flex on all the listeners, man, because there's a lot of... I see all this talk now about people wearing Carhartt, not doing Carhartt stuff. I'm doing. I'm wearing death metal shirts, doing death metal stuff. Yeah, you got to feel a little guilty if you're not taking full advantage of the full swing. Yeah, that they offer. Yeah, with- I I take I take full swing on like a like a nice old bl- slam, like the way you want to hit that snare drum off of a big slow slam. That's me swinging the wood on the axe, man. Yeah, dude. But uh, listen, enough about me. I'm sorry, man. You know, I I just sometimes I feel like I got so much to talk about. Another man that might have a lot to talk about. Let's find out. Um, we're going to get into it with none other than Mitchell Luna, frontman. You might know him from his work in the bands Maruda and Noisier, now currently promoting his new project, Shock Withdrawal. This is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with today's special guest, Mitchell Luna of Shock Withdrawal, Noisier, and Maruda. Did I get that correct, sir? Uh, yes. Yes, you did. I'm affiliated with all of those uh, ridiculous bands. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Dude, thanks for having me on. I'm fucking super stoked to be on here. Um, you know, uh, big fan of a lot of your projects. Uh, I listened to that last Afterbirth record like fucking crazy. Uh Stoked on that, you know. Love Artie Brain, uh, and yeah, just just uh, happy to be here and uh, talk talk about sick riffs and blast beats for a bit. And uh, yeah, hell yeah, M- much appreciated, man. Yeah, I'm glad uh, glad we could get you on um, to talk about uh, your your new project, of course, that we're going to get into. But of of course, also your history that some people may or may not be aware of. Um, and get right into it, man. So. Without uh, further ado, I think you know where this is going. Uh, and by the way, thank you very much for the compliments and for the support. I appreciate that, so I don't forget that. I, I always have to um, uh, be respectful of that. I, I, I really do appreciate that. Uh, and because uh, everyone's, because you know, I do interview people sometimes, and they don't even know I'm in a band or something like that too. Man, that happens, which is all good yeah. as well. Um, but but as is life. Yeah. Regardless, uh, M- Mitch, I got you here. I know I got to call out, I always credit uh, my research, there was the Sheep's Clothing YouTube channel, which interviewed you several years ago, um, in 2017, I believe, so I always got to credit my research, and I, I know from that interview, if I'm not mistaken, you're actually of Cuban descent, and you're from uh, the area known as Little Havana in Miami, Florida? Yeah, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm Cuban-Colombian, my mom's Cuban, dad's Colombian, uh, raised more Cuban than anything, just because, like you know, my dad was out of the picture uh, early on, which that's a long story. Uh, but yeah, uh, Little Havana, uh, Hialeah, actually, then Little Havana, pretty much born and raised. 
and uh, moved out here to Los Angeles in 2016. Um, basically, it was like a career move, you know, I was pursuing uh, in my career. I put the band stuff on hold for a bit to do that. And uh, now, now, now I'm back to, to grindcore, <laughs> you know, just, just a little more money in, in, in my bank account. Uh, hey, hey, yeah. Can't hate, man. You, you know, grindcore doesn't pay the bills. You got to come prepared to rehearse. Oh, dude. It, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a money pit. <laughs> so, so, yeah. I mean, obviously, you, you know, you and listeners all know I'm from Long Island, New York, um, uh, Miami, Florida, far removed and a little bit, I think, maybe romanticized by some people. Um, you, you know, the, they think palm trees, maybe the movie Scarface, all you know, all this sort of thing. For people who haven't been there, could you tell us just a little bit about growing up there, um, and what it was like? And maybe the typical heavy hole question: Were there any musicians in your family or people who steered you towards hard rock and heavy metal? Uh, okay, all right. Well, let's, let's in regards to Miami. I mean, I I will always love Miami. It's 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 my home. You know. Um, it is a very ridiculous yet charming city. It's tacky, uh, but I love it. You know, <laughs> it, it's it's definitely a place where uh, all of your vices will be fed. Mm. Uh, that's the best way I could put it. It's it's a very like a tourist economy city. Uh, bars are open twenty four seven. It's it's very very party driven. Um, but what I will say about growing up there and, and the music scene there is that since it's so isolated, you know, like you can't go east, west or south. It's pretty much all water. Uh, you know, it's a, the, the, the tip of, of, of the head of the penis of the United States is what I call Miami. It's just like, you know, the fucking penis shaped Florida. We're there at the very bottom. And, um, you know, so, so growing up, there wasn't always a lot of like touring packages that would come through, you know. Um, it, it's it's not like out here in LA where there's fucking five shows a week and I feel overwhelmed to have to yeah. pick and choose. But you know, like everyone down in, in Miami is thirsty uh, in regards to wanting to see live music, and I feel like like scenes down there, um, genre wise, like everyone kind of like mingles with each other. You know, like it's it's very common for a show to be mixed genre in Miami. They'll be like you know, a hardcore band with a death metal band with a grindcore band and everyone sort of like gets to know each other. And there's a lot of overlap, which I thought was something that was really fucking cool. Um, Cause living out here, it just feels more, um, what's the right word? Like separated, you know, like yeah. there's just one crowd that only goes to, like black metal shows or only goes to old school, heavy metal or whatever. Um, Cause I guess there's so much variety. Um, but um where was I going with this? Um, yeah, Miami. Miami's just like predominantly Latino, where I grew up. You know, um, what else? I don't know. If it's just an interesting place, man. <laughs> it's, well, uh, I, I mean, obviously, that's the, that's the kind of music that comes to mind is more traditional. Um, music from Latino cultures uh, yeah. and and Cuban music, obviously. Um, could you take us a little bit into discovering harder and heavier and and more underground types of music? Man, oh, so yeah, going back to that, like I I d didn't really have anyone in my family or friends that sort of uh, exposed me to metal. Um, I was you know this scrawny lanky kid i had asthma i wasn't really uh into in doing like any sort of outdoor activities and i'd i'd uh 
I'd stay at home and um, my uncle had a computer where I would I would play computer games constantly and uh, he had Doom and <laughs> I, this may sound ridiculous but I think playing Doom was like what got me into metal it was like my first exposure to that because like later on a few years later I I, I, uh, I realized that a lot of the songs in that game were like MIDI versions of metal songs like uh there's, I think it's like Slayer uh, Behind the Crooked Cross is one of them. Uh, there's like a, a MIDI version of Hangar 18 by Megadeth. Like they just get like these riffs and they would loop. Um, and I was just super drawn to that. Uh, and I guess, you know, shooting demons and, and all that, just very, very metal stuff. Um, what else that and uh and honestly just like watching beavis and butthead as a young kid man yeah <laughs> you know like yeah. that, that was that was one of those things that just exposed me to like uh i remember seeing napalm death there for the first time or like ministry and, and, and stuff like that in in uh yeah you know uh meet meeting that one kid in in middle school with a with a rock shirt and uh trading trading tapes and stuff like that uh yeah, yeah, it sort of found me. That's the best way I'd phrase it. Hell yeah! You know, uh, now, um, and if I got this right, you're you're if I if I'm not mistaken, you're probably a little bit younger than me. So you're like just for the listeners who don't realize, you're probably a generation or two removed from what people regard as like that classic Florida death metal scene with death and cynic and atheist and obituary all in their heyday. Is, is that accurate? Yeah, I'm, I'm 38. I mean, I, I I grew up listening to those bands, but it was definitely after the heyday. It was like the the the, the, the cusp. I mean, to, to put things into perspective, uh, people laugh at me when I say this, but like the first death album I ever bought was The Sound of Perseverance because it came out in 98. And like, yeah. that's what was at the record store, you know, <laughs> as far as like the extreme metal, they would, they would carry like the latest stuff and that was kind of it, you know. Uh, uh, my first Morbid Angel record that I ever listened to was Formulas Fatal, just because that was what was out. And, you know, I, I wanted to check out Morbid Angel. I think I saw, like, the, the God of Emptiness music video, and then I went to the store uh, and bought that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I did not see any of that in its heyday. I mean, to be, to be fair, like, I... I, I grew up in, in the dark times of, of the new metal uh, era. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. what was popular. Death metal wasn't cool uh, in the late '90s, early 2000s at all. I mean, I would I would go out there be shows, and uh, but it was by no means uh, what everyone was listening to. In fact, when I when I meet people significantly younger than me, like kids in their 20s, and like sometimes they'll have like a, a vaster knowledge of what bands were who and where just because they had all the time and the internet to, to do all the research and discover all this cool shit that I might've missed out on. Um, Dude, so- I'm sorry. I'm, I don't, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you're speaking my language. Cause you're actually not as young as I thought I'm 39. So we're like right there with yeah, every- hell yeah, man. Yeah. Solidarity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> first, first morbid angel album was formulas. hundred percent. Um, the first death album I remember making an impact with Sound of Perseverance. Luckily, my buddy Adam turned me on to the older stuff, but I know exactly. And there was, what was the Deicide album? Um, damn it, now this is bugging me because it's because it was the Deicide album that came out right when Formulas came out for Morbid, and was it, it was Serpents of the, Serpents yes, of the Light? Serpents of the Light first Deicide. Yeah. That was like that was like our kind of class of death metal. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good, good shit though was coming out then too, man. But you're right, the new metal and then into the metalcore and everything. Yeah. So, well, well, I was I was lucky because I um I used to go to a lot of hardcore shows back then, like that. That's what uh 
you know, I, I was always very open-minded to all, all genres, and I got a lot of, I saw a lot of the cusp of, like, really cool South Florida bands that were hardcore, um, you know, like, I got into stuff like Shy Halud and, like, Horning Again and stuff like that, um, which I thought was really uh, fresh to my ears. At yeah. Uh, you know, um, but uh, yeah, sorry I interrupted you. You were about to ask me something, and I just well, wanted to you bring that you interrupted me, interrupting you. So it's all good. We're going back and forth, but but that's but that's because we're on the same. It's going to happen a lot. Yeah, lots of interruption. Well, because when you said morning again, I'm actually a big fan of morning again. I have um, it's as tradition dies slowly was the one album. I don't know that I have anything else by them. There was another EP years ago, but um, really interesting band. And I list, I I popped that album in for the first time in years just a few months ago. And I was amazed at how metal it is, even into like the songwriting. Like those guys really listen to their metal. Oh, dude, it's Slayer riffs, Slayer riffs, and breakdowns. Yeah, bands. yeah. What <laughs> the so cool back then? Morning yeah. again, great. Yeah, morning again, really great name drop. I, mean, I think they were straight edge too. Yeah, yeah, we're. Uh, I don't think uh, many of those dudes uh, stood the test of time in that regard. <laughs> not well, yeah. that not just them. Well, yeah, a lot of those '90s guys, man. A lot, yeah, a lot, a lot. A lot, a lot of those '90s. <laughs> I have a really, really good friend from Florida. I'm just gonna did call him out, shout him out real quick. My friend Lowell had like this uh, the three X's tattooed to him, and then uh, underneath he put the years he was straight edge, like you know, like ninety two to whatever the hell. Um, and I always found that funny, and I love that dude. So if you're listening, Lowell, hi Lowell. <laughs> and if and if you're listening, shout out to my friend to this day who used to who still has straight edge tattoos, I'm sure, and um, is probably a bigger pothead than anyone I know, man. But do what you got to do. <laughs> and, hey, well, not- it, was, it was always funny watching my straight edge friends that like started drinking for the first time in their early 20s, you know, and making making all the mistakes I made as like a 16 year old, like like passing out and barfing everywhere and just making a complete fool out of themselves. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm glad I got that out of my system, much. <laughs> all right, man. Well, um, but but yeah, all right. So, uh, morning again, hardcore. Here's something I did want to talk about because you mentioned Miami and how it was difficult for touring bands to get down there. That's something I experienced because Artificial Brain went down there when when we opened up for Blood Incantation and Demolich. I should say when I was still in Artificial Brain. Um, we, we traveled down to Miami and it was great. The show was great. It was a great experience walking around Miami, but, um, it was remarkable because bands were touring. Like say you hit the circuit down there, you go maybe like South Carolina, you go New Orleans, North Florida. If you want to go down to Miami, you're going like maybe, you know, six hours there and six hours back out of your way sometimes. Right. Oh, dude, way more than that. I feel like. Yeah. Well, mean, yeah. Look, we, we, Marie used to tour a ton and, from Miami, it's a good like ten hours if you're going to Atlanta, or fourteen if you're going to New Orleans. Um, and then other than that, you have uh, Tampa, Orlando, Jacksonville sometimes, maybe Gainesville sometimes as well. Like that, that that was a cool place to play. Um, but yeah, o- always jealous of my friends in like the tri-state area uh, or like New York or Philly could just pop over to a whole nother like booming scene that'd be there in three hours. You know, that whole like Baltimore, Philly, New York, uh, New England area is like to me uh, where I had some of my best times and some of the best shows uh, touring. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely difficult down there. Um, question for you. Well, where where do you play in Miami? Because I definitely I definitely didn't live there uh, when you did. 
So just curious uh, to oh. hear what venue that. I'm assuming it's Churchill's. My, like, I I think it was. My memory's a little foggy. Um, okay. Yeah, we're, we could take a time and edit this out. I'm actually going to punch it up. Hold on a second, man, because I because no, I, I want to. I am curious. It's probably Churchill's pub. It was like it's kind of in a super sketchy area. Um, the type of place where there's like dudes outside asking for money to watch your car, but really you're just giving them money so they don't break into your car. It's like the, the unspoken rule of Churchill's, like give this guy two bucks so he doesn't break your window. Uh, but uh, it, it, that that place fucking rules. Like everyone that used to run that venue were were amazing. Um, I, it's still open now, but it has different owners. Um, but uh, some of the best memories of my life were at Churchill's, um, and I've met some of my best friends there. I, I could go on and on about that place. I, I just looked it up. It was, as a matter of fact, at Churchill's. I thought it was. Yeah, um, yeah, dude. Yeah, we, we and, uh, and go ahead. The, the the funny thing about like what what I don't miss about Miami and shows there is that since there's no cutoff time for alcohol, shows run fucking late as hell, dude. Yeah, <laughs> we would play at like two in the morning, and that was normal. Uh, I don't have the energy for that anymore. Um, yeah, how, how was the show down there for you? Oh, it was bananas. We I, we did run late that night. I remember it, it was. <laughs> I have nothing but good memories. That was we got there early and hung out. Um, the bartenders, uh, uh, beautiful young ladies, they were very nice to us. Uh, all the staff were cool. Um, we we played with Hellwitch, which was a, a treat. I'm a, yeah, I'm a big fan of Hellwitch. Um, uh, I think they're under, un, completely undercredited and underrated in death metal history, but that's a whole other conversation. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, that that's I can't pronounce it, but the Scissorial Miscreancy album um, is is like way ahead of its time. But uh, that's a, that's a whole pa- our heavy whole Patreon people are going to find out about that soon enough. But um, yeah. r- regardless, uh, yeah, Hell Witch, uh, Blood Incantation, Demolition. It was a beautiful night, man. Um, the staff were so so kind and great to us. Uh, and I remember they had some huge mural outside in kind of like the courtyard area. We took a big group shot in front of that. Might have been the last day of tour, or at least one of the last like few shows of tour. So that that was actually a, a really cool show, man. It was a, I mean, it was a huge crowd. People went nuts. It, you know, it was everything you wanted. And I do remember the staff were great. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, I feel like everyone in Miami is like super grateful. Uh, when when bands like that come through, and everyone just like definitely goes nuts. Goes yeah. hard as fuck and uh, parties, uh, but that that lineup's stacked as fucking hell. Uh, I'm bummed I wasn't there for that. <laughs> hey man, you can't you can't catch them all, man. You can't be in two places at once. Um, that is true. But do you have a point there? Because sometimes when we go out to these far out places, like I remember, I want to say it was uh, Bo- Bozeman, Montana. It wasn't. I don't think it was Billings. It was in Montana, someplace. Um, but they're, they're just sometimes, or, um, even better when we played Oklahoma city on another tour, um, yeah. sometimes you play places that don't always get the tours or the, or the bigger package tours with, with, you know, bands from, from other regions, uh, coming through. And, you know, when you play those places, you're right. The local people and the staff, a lot of people are just excited cause it's kind of a big night for the venue and for the local scene. Um, and you know, not for your, not not because you made it in an egotistical way, but just because you know you guys happen to cross paths in the in the universe, and it happened. It's, it, you know, so those shows are great too. You know, pe- people people love playing New York City and um, you know Los Angeles and some of the bigger name places in Austin or whatever. But some of those smaller places you might not have heard of, they're really going to pop off for you. 
Absolutely. Yeah, man. So, all right. So, so the hardcore shows. You, you mentioned Shy Halud and Morning Again, man. That's pretty cool to think about. Um, and South, like, and I, I've, you know, I'm gonna admit I'm a little ignorant, but South Florida hardcore is like its own thing. People say that, right? That's kind of a little subgenre, a scene, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. It definitely is. Well, I, I just feel like I've heard that, and I know they've, they they have like different fests in, in Florida. Maybe I got to look into that. But but so so you kind of you start seeing the hardcore shows. Tell me a little bit. Maybe maybe take us through getting into grindcore, and then is Maruda the first band that you're officially really part of? No, no, it's actually not. I mean, I, I had like a, a shitty band in high school, like everyone did, um, and then then afterwards, I was in a sort of. Uh, it's it's hard to label what genre it was. It was definitely grind leaning, but kind of hardcorey. Uh, like it's kind of reminiscent of like uh, like Reversal of Man, if you're familiar with, with bands like that, or like Combat Wounded Veteran, which were two other huh. uh, Florida bands. Like in, in that vein, you know, it was a, a band called the Tyranny of Shaw that I don't really talk about much, but uh, I I it's one of those bands. Like I don't know if you were ever in a band where you go back and you listen to your old music and you're like, man, I, I just I just don't think that age very well. <laughs> you know? At least that's how I feel about it. But I'm still really good friends with with all the guys I played with in that band, and that was that was my first time touring ever. Actually, um, first time ever stepping foot outside of Florida okay. in my life. Yeah, it was uh, I was I was 19 years old, and we we got in a van and uh, you know played New Orleans and did like a Midwest tour and and, and stuff and. Uh, I, I, I was the second vocalist. They had a dude before me uh, who I'm also still good friends with, so shout out to Manny uh, Navarrete. Um, but um, yeah, dude, like it, it, it wasn't it, it wasn't everyone else's first time to know they toured or gone on vacations with their family or whatever. But I remember just being in that van and crossing into New Orleans and getting out and just being somewhere that wasn't Florida and just being absolutely fucking stoked out of my mind dude <laughs> like, yeah. i, I kind of contained myself uh, so i didn't come off as like a complete dweeb uh and then, then i remember we played a place called the dixie tavern that doesn't exist anymore like katrina uh demolished it but uh being 19 years old and they're serving me alcohol without carding <laughs> me and it was just it was a fucking blast yeah. uh but uh, but yeah, that band. Uh, I, I was in it with uh, with my friend uh, to this day that I still talk to, Rick Smith, who plays in a million. Uh, he's a drummer for like a million uh, bands. Like he's in Shitstorm and uh, Caveman Cult and Torch and a bunch of other stuff. And all right, uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we 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 did like an EP and a and a split seven inch and a, and a few things and. Um, you know, through being in that band, I did I did learn a lot about like just how things work DIY wise. You know, like just going out and booking your own shit and reaching out to labels and uh, tr- doing trades with distros and stuff. So you know, although it wasn't uh, music, I'm particularly super proud of it. Was it was a good way for me to learn just how things work. Uh, so you know, when 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 that ended and and I wanted to start my own thing, like my own vision with with Maruda, I took a lot of what I learned and. Uh, you know, just just went off that. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I'm saying this like a, for me, playing music's a labor of love, 100. percent I never looked at it as like a lucrative uh, thing, but but it's just something that like uh, I had to fucking do because because I love it more than anything else in this world to this yeah. day. You know? <laughs> so so uh, 
you know, starting Maruto was like mission statement. All right, like we're we're a grindcore band, but we're also like those those grind kids that that listen to fucking Gorguts and Disgorge and fucking Suffocation and shit. So we wanted we wanted to like kind of put our own little spin on on the sound and, and add add some of those like technical death metal elements, but not overdo it. Um, and then yeah, yeah, then just you know, uh, hit the ground running with that. Uh, I definitely went off on a tangent. I don't even remember what your original question was. <laughs> no, that's good. I was not going to do that. <laughs> no, you did it because I just asked you to take us through um, Maruda and your early beginnings with, with bands, and, and that's exactly what you did. And we know that um, 2005, you guys put out the demonstration demo first, if I got that right. Uh, yeah, and then yeah. um, uh, by a few years later, you have your 08 tour demo uh, so I guess in those three years, is it fair to say you guys established yourself by kind of taking the DIY route and getting yourself out there and playing shows? Yeah, absolutely. And and like it's funny, like that band, I started it with uh, with Nick Augusto and Jeff Stevenson, uh, which those two dudes used to be. Well, I think Implosive Discordant is still a thing, kind of sometimes, mm-hmm. but they used to be in that band. And uh, I think at the time, their like singer wasn't able to 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 play or, or keep recording i don't remember what it was but i hit him up about a new project and we started off with those guys and then jeff ended up leaving the band um and i thought maruda was gonna break up but i had this random dude who had just moved to to florida from el salvador message me going like hey man i just looked up grind on myspace in miami and i found you dudes could i could i try out for a bass player and we're like, well, our guitar player just quit. Do you want to jam? And then, like, we just met this random dude, Eduardo. Uh, barely spoke a lick of English, but I'm fluent in Spanish. And uh, Nick uh, doesn't speak Spanish. So I was like, translator dude. And uh, and it just clicked like that, like, right away. Um, and and then that's when, you know, um, started started trading the demo out with distros and stuff i remember it was still a time where like you know you could trade it was like a pro cer and uh i I remember doing a trade of like robotic empire and like he took like 50 copies of them and then the 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 name kind of started to spread that way a bit and uh you know we hit the ground running just playing diy tours and um one day i was uh I was having uh, I was I was having beers by the computer as I used to a lot <laughs> back in the day. Uh, I've definitely uh, uh, cut back on that. Uh, but I was uh, I was on the uh, the Willow Tip MySpace page, and I, I left a really dumb snarky comment like, "Hey, when the when the fuck are you going to sign us already?" and uh, and like Tipton was like, "Who's this stupid fucking band?" and he clicked on it and and he. He was like, oh, shit, they're actually good. And he got a hold of me. So that's that's how that panned out. Uh, and, uh, and, yeah, just, just t- toured a lot in, like, 08 and 09, you know. And, uh, and then no, no regrets, I guess. Okay. Well, what, you just answered a big question there because I was going to say, coming right out the rip, how do you guys end up working with Willow Tip? But it sounds like kind of a combination of hard work playing live networking with labels and uh <laughs> dumb luck on that comment oh yeah yeah Be- being a fucking shameless jerk <laughs> <laughs> it, it works out sometimes man it's, every yeah, once in a while yeah. a band does get signed that way um, yeah and uh, and then around at the same time as well 
uh, uh, Scott Scott from Pig Destroyer was putting that uh, that that uh, this comp kills fascist compilation together, mm-hmm. and actually he found out about the Russ the Randy Lowe that 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 ran Robotic Empire. He's like, oh dude, check out Maruda from Florida. Uh, so he grabbed us and Shitstorm. So like we were stoked that uh, you know two Miami homies were on that, and uh, and then yeah, everything just fell into place, and you know we we were doing a little DIY touring quite a bit, and then. Uh, with the Willitip thing, I, I've reached out to a, to an agent. Uh, who the fuck was helping us? Oh, Dan Rosenblum at the time, and he, he put us on like a tour or two. Um, and then we did that. We did a tour with like Impaled and Phobia and Malignancy and Killed a Client and a lot nice. of cysts. It was nice. it was like the, the Willowtip tour around when when our first uh, CD came out. Um, yeah, you know <laughs> that 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 was in in 2008 when like uh, well gas prices are the same now, uh, but back then they were about like five five something a gallon. Yeah, and uh, fuck, we were roughing it so hard on that tour, dude. <laughs> it was just uh, yeah, uh, very fond memories though. Did that stop at the knitting factory back when it was in Manhattan? Yes, it did. Yeah, yeah, we I, I, there. yeah. I was there. I was at that show, man. Awesome. Uh, okay, and now I remember. Uh, yeah, like when you said a logicist uh, from Italy, right? A logicist. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and malignancy. Yeah, I, I was definitely there. Awesome. Okay, man. Cool, man. Cool, cool. All right. Yeah, yeah. Good, good times at the knitting factory in Manhattan, man. Back when it was over there. Awesome. Um, we uh, we also played the L.A. knitting factory, which is in the middle of the Sunset Strip, and that was like this hell holy like get to. And uh, I remember at the time, like, our guarantee was 100 bucks. We were, like, mm. one of the first bands. And we yeah. get to the venue, and uh, and we had to, like, pay to park in their garage. And, like, parking was, like, 15 bucks. <laughs> and they didn't they didn't comp us on that at all. Oh, so, God. in reality, we got paid $85 that night. Uh, <laughs> good times. Well, maybe this is a good place to, to – we'll, 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 we'll pin it here and come back, but – you know, I, we're we're gonna have another tour tips. People have been requesting another tour tips episode. Um, we did one a long time ago. Maybe now that things are opening up and we're having shows uh, again, um, hopefully, thankfully, uh, like you know, you're talking about doing the DIY tours and being the first band on a package, which is like in some instances being the first band on one of those big packages is less lucrative and a little bit harder than being like the headliner on a DIY, you know, punk space tour. You know? Oh, for sure. For sure, hundred percent. Um, and also, you got to remember, you're like, I, you, we were young, and, and that tour was amazing. And I made friends uh, on that tour that I still talk to to this day. Like, I think all, every dudes from every single one of those bands, I still keep in touch with, and uh, you know, I care for dearly. Uh, but yeah, you, you you think like, oh shit, there's like five bands, and they're all sick, and then you show up, it's like, <laughs> oh wait a minute, we're playing as like people were walking into like 15 people one night, you know, 25 people another night. And, uh, you know, it gets a little soul crushing at times. Um, but, um, it is what it is. It's, it's always a roll of the dice, right? Let's be fucking honest here. You, you, you go on tour cause you, you've loved to, and you want to play in front of people and just have a good time. You don't do it. At least I never did with the expectations of my band growing and be able to, you know, uh, turning in, into a, a business of any sort. Uh, but we were still going to give it a hundred percent and, and fucking have a good time, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, touring is rough, especially back then. We, we, we went on tour for two months straight that year. Damn. Like literally. Yeah. 
Yeah, because well, that's something I was going to say. Is like if you're going to, you can't coming being in based out of Miami, doing like little weekenders is not really an option like it is for us up here on the in, the, in New England and the, the the Northeast Coast, um, where you know cities are three or four hours away. Like for that reason, with, with being based out of Miami, it would be difficult for you guys to go away on like a Thursday and come back on a Sunday, having played four different cities, right? Oh yeah, impossible unless you just wanted to do like Tampa, Orlando, Savannah. Atlanta, you know, something like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, very difficult. And and we we always found ourselves, you know, like when we were when we were touring more often. We were we were in our early to mid twenties, and uh, you know, always working jobs that were just like okay. Um, so it'd always be the thing of like, all right, guys, we're all quitting our jobs to go on tour. Well, <laughs> got to make it worth it. Let's hit the road as long as we can, boys. You know, we yeah. just like pile up in a van and just do it until. Uh, the, the steam runs out um, and then you know we'd be lucky but we always like broke even for the most part or came back home with a couple hundred bucks but like you know when you take into account how long you were gone um, yeah yeah you know uh, the, the relationships that deteriorated because you were on tour <laughs> you know that as well it's true uh, coming back and not not being able to find a new job right away and then stressing out about rent and uh, yeah uh, but it's it's a rite of passage and uh, uh, nothing I regret and uh, it's still some of the best times of my life to this day. So fucking my advice is just fucking do it because um, I think it's worse to not and then regret, you know, not taking that risk and going out there and, and, and doing what you love and uh, meeting like minded people, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because, you do real talk. I think honestly, touring and uh, going out and and you know uh, performing and, and and just meeting people from the scene was like uh, better for me than fucking college. <laughs> you know, like it's just it's just a, a better life experience. I just learned social skills from it and uh, you know saw the world. I fucking uh, you know lots of basements and gas stations, but still <laughs> you know cornfields and shit. Uh, but yeah, man. Yeah, I, I, I fucking uh, I miss it. But uh, yeah. you know, as is life. Um, yeah, man. I, no, I, I hear you, man. It's I, I definitely agree with a lot of those sentiments too about just doing it and taking the chance. Um, and and with in the, with that in mind, something I wanted to ask you then, maybe just you know, not not a whole crazy list, but maybe just a few things if you could like kind of go back in time and tell your your younger self something before you start going out on the road and going on tour. Like, what are a few tips for? For the road, you know, what are a few tips for going out there for, you know, a week at a time or something, or maybe just for younger bands that are getting their start now? Huh. That is a very, very good question. Um, tips is uh, shit. I mean, get yourself a decent sleeping bag and bring plenty of socks and underwear. <laughs> it's is, true. Uh, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And if I could tell anything to my younger self, it'd be, uh, fucking uh not booze up as much man yeah i feel i feel like uh you know i used to have this very like punk rock like fuck it i'm gonna get drunk every night approach and uh and there'd be days where like oh fuck the turnout's actually really good today and i'd just be winded because i was like hungover you know um or or i just didn't play to my maximum potential you know just just, just a few times i was tired uh shit like that um, that that's definitely what I would tell myself, and just, just sort of like uh, be mindful of, 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 of 
you know, your human flesh prison that you're stuck in, take care of it a little better. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I can like, second that a hundred percent, man. Yeah. Cause when you go out on tour, um, yeah, there's definitely like this kind of inclination to, to just live it up and, you know, you only do it once or whatever type of thing. But but you really got to think that you're there to work and you're there to make sure that you're responsible to be on stage and do your part every night, you know? Absolutely, man, because that, that's really the main reason why you're out there. It's like you have this allotted time to uh, perform and, and do what you love doing most. And and you're cheating yourself if you do a shitty job, you know? Um so ne- next time, I mean, I, I do have plans with shock withdrawal. We're gonna we're gonna work on a full length. I'm not, sorry if I'm jumping ahead, uh, but eventually we, we do plan to play out, you know. And uh, I, I definitely will approach it differently uh, in the fact that I'm not going to drink every night or look at it as a giant party. I mean, I'm sure there'll be a day or two, um, but like, yeah. fuck, man, I'll be I'll be forty in a blink of an eye. I can't I can't <laughs> continue. You know. Tell me <laughs> I, about it. The, yeah, yeah, the, the the way the way the time is just like passing by so rapidly. It's like, okay, dude, you got to just fucking chill with this and focus more on that. Um, easier said than done sometimes, though. Yeah, man, you're speaking my language. I think it's a symptom of being our age right now, and also being involved in more of a um, a youthful subculture like underground metal. Sometimes it's, you know, it's nat- natural to um to 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 feel like you got to pace yourself a little bit sometimes. I get it, man. Um, and you, you mentioned Shock Withdrawal's uh, first album coming up. I do want to talk about Shock Withdrawal, but while we're here at this point in the conversation, I want to talk about um, In Narcosis. Uh, that was your first album on Willow Tip, which was produced by Scott Hull, right? Well, we actually know what happened is we, we recorded that uh, with our friend Jonathan Nunez at his studio in Miami, and then Scott, like, mixed and mastered it. Oh, but man, okay. That, that record was a whole nightmare of just, like, things that went wrong production-wise, and we had to re-record shit, and, like, you know, Scott did the best he could, Jonathan did the best we could. I guess, in theory, we did the best we could. Uh, <laughs> but, like, that's one of those records, man, where, like, I, I love I love a lot of the songs on it. I think, I think I don't know, maybe you can relate, but, like, I, I'm one of those weirdos that sometimes I'll listen back to, to records I've been on, and then there's just, like, moments that, like, kind of make me want to die inside sometimes I'm like oh god i could have done that so much better or why didn't i speak up about that uh but then like you know there's a lot of moments on that record that i'm really fond of and a lot of good memories involved with it um but i i i, I struggled the production on that one overall <laughs> you know it's just like it's just so uh, thin sounding to me uh, was it a thing where, where scott hull was brought in like afterwards or by, or by willow tip to try to um increase the the quality of the of the sound yeah, like we, we we had in mind that he was gonna master it, you know, and then uh, and then uh, it was just, it's been a long time too. We started that recording that in 2007, and it took yeah. like over a year for it to come out. But I just remember there being a lot of technical hurdles, and it was more more on our behalf too, uh, you know, uh, being young, uh, just just a certain. Uh, tuning really low and then like the, the, the guitars being unintelligible and having to re-retract them shit like that um but yes scott scott mastered it and uh you know it was around that time where, where we started communicating through through email and whatnot and I, I still keep in touch with him to this day uh a great great human being uh he actually did uh produce our last record though we we went to his place and, and tracked drums there and um, 
and then he uh, mixed and mastered it. Um, so yeah, it, eventually he did end up uh, sort of producing a record. Uh, like I mean, he, he didn't have any sort of uh, uh, he didn't do the thing that producers do, where they they guide you and give you opinions. He basically just engineered it, you know, yeah. and and he did a killer job on that. Um, and it was fun being at his place, even though uh, you, you know, uh, well, he had a beer fridge, and uh, well, one one of our band members might have drank too much of his beer. Uh, oh. Not that he minded, uh, <laughs> but it was just a funny story. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, uh, I, I jumped ahead too much once again. Uh, but yeah, no, that that, that the in narcosis was definitely uh, just a sort of like independently produced uh, with our friend Jonathan. Okay, so uh, fair enough. Um, now before we and before we get to that album, uh, Remain Dystopian, which you just uh, talked about. Um, you know, you you guys, uh, you released your follow up album, um, Forward into Regression. Uh, your your sophomore album on Willow Tip Records. It was produced by Brian Elliott, if I got that right. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, could you talk a little bit about maybe like what um, the recording process as opposed to that first album? Like what went right this time? Did you or did you you know did you go in a little bit more um, organized or, or something so to speak? Well, the main change was a line of change. So. Uh, we had a fourth member now, which is uh, Mauto, or we call him Mo, uh, which he is definitely more uh, technically inclined as far as uh, recording shit. You know, he's he, he, he's like the glue that I needed in that band. Um, you know, he definitely kept things together on a sonic uh, on the sonic aspect of things, if that makes any sense. He just is yeah. very, very savvy. Um, so, you know. We had him and a new drummer, Danny Morris, and they'd played together before. Uh, love both of those guys. Still talk to them all the time. Um, so there was actually like pre-production with that record. You know, uh, we demoed everything. Uh, we recorded a click that time. Um, and it was just fucking seamless, you know? <laughs> and uh, and then that we did at, uh, at Mono Studios in, in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, I think we, we were in the small room and then like Madball was recording in the other room. And <laughs> it was cool. Yeah, it was cool just hanging out and like seeing Eric Rutan there in the hallway and just nicest fucking dude ever. Uh, overall, like recording that record was just a fucking breeze and I had the fondest memories uh, of tracking that. It was just so much fun and it was fresh and exciting. Um, and I think that's honestly, if I had to pick one of, of all three Maruda records, I think that would be my favorite one. Um, it, it's just like the good combination of like grind and like that sort of like death metal influence and just like coalesce pretty well on that record, I think. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it sounds, it definitely sounds a little bit more cohesive uh, than the first album on that tip. I, I would, I would say, um, you know, it, it brings it together more, those two elements. Yeah, but I have plenty of, of people that tell me, like, you're absolutely fucking wrong, and Narcosis is the best one, but they're, like, usually more of the grindheads. And yeah. I consider myself more of a grindhead, but I think I think maybe it's just, like, uh, every everything we went through to get that record out was just a fucking headache. <laughs> maybe I have bad memories about it. I don't know. There's, uh, there's, but, recordings, uh, there's recordings like that in, in my catalog. I'm not going to say which ones. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I, I tend to just air my dirty laundry out for everyone to sit here. Well, no, I, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I know what you, I know what you're saying, but you know, with me, I gotta watch, man. Some of my, some of my bandmates listen to the podcast too, so. Um, so I love all my bandmates, but yeah. you know, they, they'll probably agree with me. <laughs> well, so then, then here's the question, though. If I got it right, uh, Maruda actually um, disbands later that year in 2011. And, yeah, yeah. 
So what happened is like we put that out. Uh, we didn't we didn't do much US actually we didn't do any US touring when that came out except for like uh, we did two of those Scion shows. Um, oh yeah, man! When when the car company was doing all the metal promotion, I've, that's come up a lot lately on the show. Dude, you know what? I thought those shows were fucking awesome. And uh, there, there's a lot of, like, punks that would complain about it, you know, who were like, oh, fuck Scion. They have no business, like, you know, infiltrating our underground culture. But what they got that <laughs> shit all wrong, man. What it was is, like, it was a dude who genuinely fucking loved metal and underground shit, and they gave him X amount of money for marketing. And he's just like, well, fuck it. Let me support these killer underground bands and put some cool free shows together and fly bands in from fucking Japan and shit that you'd probably never see. Um, they could have easily done like a, I don't know, rock the nation fest with kid rock in the middle of fucking nowhere and sold more cars. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so those, those scion shows were cool as fucking hell. And, um, we, we got flown out to Chicago and LA to play two shows with Gridlink and phobia. And that was a fucking blast. And to this day, like the only time I've ever come back from, from two shows with significant amount of, of money. <laughs> you know, they paid us well and they fed us and all the bands were killer and it was a blast. So we did that. And then we did a, a five week tour of, uh, of Europe with Wormrod, um, which was also incredible. Um, but you know, we, we got back and there was just some, some interpersonal turmoil with the band and, and, and one of the members. And, uh, and he said, fuck it, I quit. And I'm like, okay, I guess we're done. Um, and, you know, a, a few months later, like a, less than a year later, like things blew over and uh, we got that thirst to play again. And and I realized that it was it was dumb on my behalf to announce that the band is over. I kind of did it in this sort of uh, I, I guess I was I was being emotional <laughs> and I was just like, all right, fuck it, band's done. And I made an announcement that the band was was over, uh, you know, in retrospect, I probably would, shouldn't have done that. Um but, you know, we got back together and in, in, in two practices, we had like two new songs. And uh, and then I remember the, the other the other catalyst for us starting to play again is that um, uh, a friend of mine from Florida booked a show where Today's a Day uh, was playing Miami. And at the time, their drummer and bass player, um, uh, Curran Reynolds and, uh, and Ryan Jones, uh, that lineup, uh, good friends of mine and ours, and they, they really bugged me to to, to get a Maruda reunion for that show. Um, and there's no way in hell I was going to tell them no. Um, so we did, we played and it just felt good. And, and then we said, fuck it, let's do another record. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that the, the, the love for grind is too strong, you know, um, can't go too long without it. It'll drive you crazy. Tell me about it, man. Well, so that, so then you start talking about 2015's remain dystopian on relapse records, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that. That's that's the one we recorded after that. Absolutely, yeah. Which, uh, yeah. Well, like I said earlier, we tracked that at Scott Hall's place. Um, you know, that that was the first uh, first record where I ever had like a, a guest uh, vocalist on it. You know, which was cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, uh, we were at the studio, and I asked Jr. if he wanted to do a few lines on a song, and he said, "Yeah." And so that that was neat. And then, uh, and then we got uh, Tomas Lindbergh on it uh, yeah. very randomly, uh, which, by the way, that dude fucking rules. Nicest dude ever. Was so stoked. I was such a huge at, well, I am still a huge at the Gates fan. Uh, but, you know, if I were to tell high school me that, 
uh, he would have flipped his shit. Um, but um, so how that came about is that like years back when, when Forward and Aggression came out, you know, those like best of lists that like metal musicians put out. And like, I, I think it was like Metal Sucks or Metal Injection or, or somebody uh, wrote, wrote like Tomas's favorite records. And, and he listed that and I was, I was blown away and like super stoked, you know, um, and we have a mutual friend. And at some point he's like, dude, you should ask him to do guest vocals on a song. I'm like, really? No, man, that's corny. I can't just like cold email this dude, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I, that's a little too shameless. And, uh, and then he talked to him and I emailed him and he said, absolutely. And, you know, uh, I, I sent him the song and the lyrics and he cranked it out on his own. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that was fun. Awesome. I was going to ask you, because the J.R. Hayes connection seems um, a little more natural. You know, you, you work with Scott Hull. Uh, you're on Relapse Records at that point. But, yeah, the Thomas Lindbergh thing. Okay, that's that's cool, man. That's good to know. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and also we covered the band kind of breaking up and reforming or however you want to call it. But if I got it correct, it was also right around the time that the band uh, – uh, went on hiatus we'll say and, and then uh, reformed that you started working with noise ear right yeah a bit yeah um i so here's the thing with those dudes like i, I recorded stuff for a few splits um and you know i'd always been in touch there was one point i was gonna do a tour but then i didn't end up doing a tour just because like work and shit uh but eventually i did i did play mdf with them and uh two other shows um and i was i was on one full length record um but the thing about noisier is I, I everything's always super what's the right way i can put this um slightly unpredictable <laughs> you know like like uh, uh hung out with brian last weekend actually because I, I went to california death fest uh you know he played with plf and I still keep in touch with Dorian, but it's one of those bands where, like, I'll, I'll record something for a split, thinking it's going to be one split, and then the other band takes forever, and then it comes out as something else, and then I find out once it's already out. <laughs> it's a bit of a tumultuous, uh, <laughs> chaotic uh, grind machine, if you will. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, no, my, my involvement with Noisier was never, uh, like, full-time or anything like that, if that's even a term to use. Um but uh, I, I definitely uh, had fun tracking some stuff. I think it was like the split with the Antigama and the Kill. I was on those tracks. Uh, what else? And uh, Department. Oh, sorry. Of, yeah. Go no, ahead. Go I, ahead. I was going to Department of Correction. I got it. I got it uh, written out here. Oh yeah, that that one too. That one too. Yeah, yeah. I'm also really bad at remembering because like I'll go in and I'll I, they would send me like ten songs and I track them. Then they cut them up and they'd like end up in various splits like in different yeah. orders. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I love those guys and uh, fucking Dorian's just like a riff machine, man. Uh, he writes some really interesting shit and and uh, and I love Joe and uh, same with Alex, the 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 original vocalist. Anytime I'm not in Albuquerque, like we fucking kick it. And he's just a rad dude. Um, but uh, yeah, Noisier is definitely a very very special band. Uh, hell, hell yeah, great great grindcore band for people, and that's. If I got that, is that is the drummer? Is that Brian? Is it Fajardo? Yeah, Brian Fajardo. Brian Fajardo, extraordinaire. <laughs> yeah, we man, we gotta man. gotta hook hook up with him. I'll get him on on the heavy hole at some point eventually too. Man, big fan of his work. Um, really talented drummer. People should know his work if they're this far into the heavy hole podcast. Anyway, 
Um, Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned California Death Fest. Wasn't that like literally just two days ago, like this past weekend, while we were getting snowed on up here in New York? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, 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 I refuse to live in places where it snows. No, no, uh, <laughs> no shade me throwing against you, you New Yorkers or anything. Then, uh, then <laughs> if you're if you're gonna live somewhere where there's no snow, how are you supposed to listen to a mortal? This is true. All right, that's all I gotta say. <laughs> Fair enough. I, br- I broke enough. out. I broke out. Heart of Winter and Sons of Northern <laughs> Darkness both this past weekend. But but I digress, man. Could you tell us a little bit about that California Death Fest? Yeah, dude. So, so I went on on Saturday, and dude, the lineup was like fucking killer as far as grindcore is concerned. And and you know, it was just just great seeing friends I've met throughout the last 20 years. I mean, to me, that's the main draw of going to these fests. It's, you know, why I went to Maryland Death Fest for like nine years in a row. Cause it's just like, I know I'm going to see just so many homies there. And I just love to catch up with everyone and see what they're doing and, and see what fucking new sick music they're putting out. And just, just, you know, watching bands play and getting that energy and shit. Um, but, uh, you know, Miasmatic Necrosis played, uh, Caustic Wound, uh, PLF, impaled uh just back to back just fucking rippers man it was a great 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 time awesome awesome i'm sure you missed it you know with all this covid shit going on it must have been nice to have a genuine metal fest experience dude for sure yeah long overdue (laughs) it is that like it's funny i I was talking to, to to a friend of mine and uh you know amidst amidst the whole lockdown thing he's like hey man so how old are you you started going to shows i'm like uh like 15 maybe it's like how many shows did you go to a month uh, anywhere from four to 12 and he's like well you've been doing that up until this lockdown right I'm like yeah and he's like this is the longest you've gone without going to a show i'm like holy shit it's been over a year uh yeah it, it's, it definitely starts to, to drive you a little crazy <laughs> you know? me, me as well yeah i think yeah we all went through it man it's definitely crazy man Every, everybody went, went through it their own way um and uh, I want to talk about Shock Withdrawal, your uh, new band, um, and just one more thing to cover before I really want to d- dive into that. You mentioned Gridlink, uh, performing with Gridlink before at that Scion Fest. I have noted here that you're actually a guest vocalist on the 2019 solo album Strange Beautiful Fast by Gridlink guitarist uh, Takafumi Matsubara, if I, if I said his name correctly. Yeah, yeah. And dude, recording that was so awesome because I've always been a huge fan of Takafumi. I mean, I fucking love Mortalized from Japan. They're just sick grindcore, mm-hmm. like super underrated. And, um, you know, uh, playing with Gridlink was amazing. Uh, he's an amazing dude. They're all amazing dudes. Um, and uh, he just randomly hit me up, uh, asked if I wanted to do two tracks. And there was no way in hell I was going to say no. Now, to, to go to, to segue off into something else, uh, huh. I, when I recorded those songs, it had been, when, when did I record that? Like 2017? I, I can't remember. It's all a blur, man. Maybe 2018. I don't know. Uh, but anyhow, so it'd been, it'd been a while since I had tracked anything. And, um, and, I, and I went and I recorded it at my friend's studio at uh, my buddy, Mike Heller, who moved out, out here. Uh, he has a little studio and, uh, you know, I rehearsed the shit out of the songs in the car. Uh, that's that's what I would do. I'd like drive around and, and scream the vocals in the car to like kind of <laughs> get the patterns figured out and shit. Um, but I guess I wasn't doing it enough. And I, I want to go track those songs, man. And I fucking lost my voice in the studio. Um, and it just 
fucked with my head so hard. Like, yeah, I thought I thought I was I was done. I'm like my my I'm no longer uh, capable uh, to be a, a vocalist. Like I'm I fucking suck, you know. And uh, and I had to I had to you know go home, uh, dude. I, I was literally like probably on the verge of tears, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I was super discouraged. And, uh, and I reached out to like a few friends uh, that are vocalists. They're like, no, dude, you absolutely have to uh, continue to keep that shit up. If not, you'll lose it. It's a per- perishable skill, you know. Um, so, you know, I took I took a, a week and a half off and I went back, you know, knocked it out. Um, but, dude, ever since, like, this, this might sound corny as hell, but like, I... I practice in the shower like twice a week. <laughs> like yeah. I'll just do fucking vocal exercises, butt ass naked under the water, uh, just <laughs> just to just just to keep keep the engines running. You know what I'm saying? Because I want to be able to just be able to pick up and do that anytime. Um, but circling circling back to those two songs, man, I honestly think um, uh, that 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 um, that that first track on there that I was on, it's it might be one of my favorite things I've ever recorded. Um, I just, I just really love Takafumi's writing and I, and I'm, I'm happy with how it came out in my delivery and, uh, it's felt really special to be on that record. There's just so many killer musicians on there and, uh, you know, always, always stoked and, uh, extremely grateful, you know, that I was even asked to be part of it. Uh, always extremely grateful for, for anything that I get to contribute to musically with any human, you know, it's, uh. It's uh, nothing's guaranteed in this world. No, I don't take yeah. any of it for granted. That's a good attitude to have, man. And, and a good attitude also is what you said about the vocals uh, staying ready. Something I found um, years ago when I first started going out on the road and playing a few shows in a row, whether it was for the weekend or for a tour with whichever band I was in at the time, I, I realized by the second or third show on the road i was a better i was performing better i had the songs better so what i would start doing is just even if the band couldn't get together to rehearse like the you know two or three nights before we would leave for the tour before the first show i would go to a rehearsal studio and kind of karaoke my own band's music somehow with the cd or something to to like you say like to jump start the engine to keep the engine running you know what i mean yeah absolutely Dude, I got a question for you, man. Do you, do you play an instrument at all, or are you just like a, a metal vocalist? Just a death metal vocalist. I mean, I I play drums. I can keep a beat on drums, but I would never say I would. I I could never hang in there with a metal band. Oh um, yeah, all right. You feel you feel my pain then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I always deal with that. Like, oh, you're a musician. I'm like, I I I don't know if that's what I would describe myself as. <laughs> we we know in our hearts we are, but uh, it's easier to tell the people at work that you growl and scream. You know, it just yeah, is. like I, I make Cookie Monster noises and pterodactyl shrieks. Yeah, and shit, and it, jump around like an idiot. That that's what I do. You know, a lot of my coworkers are going to think I'm in a band that sounds like Linkin Park or something, no matter how I describe it. So it is what it is. <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. But um, uh, I, I try to avoid that question uh, in general at any place of employment or any sort of like gathering with like uh, someone's family or something. I don't know. I, I just I just ha- have a hard time coming out of my shell and trying to explain this weird shit that we're into. Uh, so I just try to avoid it altogether. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. What do you like? You you meet your girlfriend's uh, family, and they think you're in like a Billy Joel cover band or something. Like, oh, he's a musician. It's like, no, not not you know. 
Well, actually, what's funny about that is like uh, my my ex my ex wife. Um, we were in Switzerland once, and you know her family's just like, oh, he's a singer, and they had an acoustic guitar. It's like, can you do a song for us? I'm like, oh my fucking god! And then I'm just laughing, and, uh, and, and my ex Alexia was like, no, not 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 that type. Which, by the way, Alexia, if you're listening to this, shout out to you. I'm still really good friends with my ex wife. She's a great human. Uh, cool. Cool. Just had to throw that out there. Uh, Good but, for uh, you, man. But, Good but yeah, for you. it was one of those moments where I was just like cringing. I'm like, holy shit, this is just so embarrassing. Uh, and I can't, I can't like sing for shit. Like if you were to ask me to sing notes, and, and I, I just can't do it. And I, I've never really tried. Um, my my objective was always just uh, being a metal vocalist in uh, twenty five years later whatever i don't know how long it's been i'm still doing this shit uh, so yeah i yeah i find it's best when people ask me what i do uh, outside of work or what i'm into i just say splitting firewood out there in the backyard all right that's solid <laughs> just that's yeah, a good response just just leave it alone after that you know what i mean just leave me alone yeah. i'll split my <laughs> they, they look at you like yeah i believe this man he's out there with a fucking yeah. axe Holy I, shit. I don't have to explain lymphatic phlegm to anybody, all right? Fair enough. <laughs> all right. But um but something that you do have to explain, uh, Mitch, is shock withdrawal. Your new band. Uh if yeah. I if I got all this right, your two thousand twenty two self titled release is gonna come out March fourth, two thousand twenty two. But people can check out the single despair ratio on Bandcamp right now. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I'm super stoked about that project. It's a, a friend of mine, Nick, uh, who hit me up about it. Like, they already had those songs uh, tracked for the most part. Um, and it was just this super seamless process. Like, I don't know. You know, you know sometimes you like you, you work in, in a band with certain dudes where you just fucking click right away. You know what I'm saying? Like, personality-wise and everything. It's just, like everyone's just super realistic and in it to have a good fucking time and but but at the same time you know in it to also put music together that is you know legit and fast and and, and you know there's effort put into it uh i don't, totally didn't word that the right way huh. uh, but you know what i'm saying like we're taking it seriously you know uh and uh it, it's just been fucking cool shit and uh you know we we tracked it all independently and uh Hit, hit up a few labels that are friends of ours and uh you know they agreed to, to put it out in, in three different formats we have three different labels working on it um and uh we're continuing to write new music and we're gonna uh, hopefully do a full length before the end of the year and and play out um but uh but this is my sort of like grindcore uh i ha- i have nothing to prove band if that makes sense it's sort of like uh, everything's in four four uh, there's there's more emphasis on it being like catchier, you know. Uh, is not not trying to like throw these uh, strange angular riffs at you in this odd timing <laughs> that you have to wrap your head around a bit more. It's simply more just like fucking something to bang your head to and, and have a good time to. And you uh, know, I'm I'm stoked with how the EP came out. Um, which shit, I now that I think about it, I should have totally sent you the full thing before we did this interview. Uh, it's. <laughs> If I only had a time machine. It's all good, man. Uh, that's the Time Traveler's <laughs> Dilemma. And like I said, that single is oh. up there for people to check out. Um, Despair Ratio is the single on Bandcamp. Uh, it's all good. Now, um, you know, we can always edit things, but I wanted to ask you about this. It says uh, on Bandcamp, recorded by Travis Bacon at Fart Sound uh, Los Angeles. That's the studio and the producer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's our friend Travis. 
is literally in his apartment. Um, and uh, yeah, just went in there and working with him was a fucking breeze. Great dude. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how you are in the studio, but like I, I'm the type of vocalist that tends to sometimes oversaturate certain parts. Uh, so I, I love it when I, when I work with, with musicians that tell me like, hey, uh, make that pattern a little less complicated there, you know, or like, let this riff breathe a little there. Um, so, you know, like Travis had some really cool, cool uh, uh, advice for me. And, and, and like, you know, I was really happy with the end product and delivery. Um, yeah, dude, great times. Also, also nice just being able to drive to the studio 10 minutes from my house and hang out and, you know, knock it out. Uh, no complaints. Hell yeah, man. Um, and uh, it's also uh, mastered by uh, Arthur Risk, if I got his name right, who a lot of people who might be familiar with that name drop. He's worked with a lot of bands and produced a lot of bands, some some of whom we've spoken with. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he did a killer job. Yeah, and, and another name drop, uh, someone who we definitely have spoken with, Ethan McCarthy provided the cover art, right? From yeah, Primitive man. Man. Yeah, yeah. Ethan, Ethan, uh, Ethan and I go, go way back. Uh, he booked Maruta years ago with the Blasto Mat, you know, uh, when he, he used to promote and book shows. Uh, actually, still does. Uh, actually, fuck, what am I talking about? He does that, like, for a living now. He basically books tours now. Uh, but back then, he, he used to live and book shows at a, at a DIY venue called the Blasto Mat, and that's how we met and sort of kept in touch. And then, you know, you know how it goes. Like, one head feeds another. I used to book shows in Miami. Uh, so when Primitive Man came down, I, I booked one of their their earlier shows. I think uh, either just when they signed a relapse or before. Um, and yeah, you know we've we've been in touch for years. Uh, y- you know how it be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You well, I've brought I've brought people out to East Long Island, and then they stopped talking to me. Um, so you. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's I'm joking, man. It's it, it's all good. Um okay, so that shock withdrawal is definitely something to look for. Some really brutal old school shit. Not not necessarily a far I think people who are into um your your past catalog aren't gonna be too put off. I'll just put it. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. It's it's adjacent. It's more like uh napalm deathy, you know, like just not not trying to not trying to innovate, you know, because with, with Maruda, like we always had, whether we succeeded or not, the the the, the goal was to like, all right, let's kind of put our own spin on the genre. Let's really try to just do something a bit different, you know. Uh, whereas like Shock is definitely just uh, what's the right way to word this? Uh, just making it in the same vein of shit we liked when we were growing up, you know. Yeah. It's a sort of a, you know, just fucking having fun. Hell yeah, that's the, that's the spirit, man. And um, well, I got a few kind of like random questions here that I want to get into be, uh, before I let you off the hook. One of which, uh, I know I've heard you say in another interview that you actually worked PR for Willow Tip Records at one point. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did back. Well, it's funny. I I'd had two jobs at Willow Tip, which were like I was doing PR and uh, also running his distro. So I would like do the trades with other labels for a bit. Uh, which are two completely different jobs, <laughs> but uh, but Jason and I go back. You know, I I, I met him when 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 Maruda and I uh, started uh, when Willow Tip and Maruda started working together. Geez, um, we met and uh, sort of kept in touch. And um, every time there was an, an MDF, he would need someone helping him out the distro. So I you know I'd fly over and I'd work the table with him, which you know 
working with with Jason is is the best for me because he would only really want to watch Willow Tip bands, and there would only really be like two or three at max at a fest. So he'd be happy like behind the table uh, on his couch watching the hockey game. Uh, and only need to take breaks and use the bathroom every now and then. So basically, I'd get into the fest for free party. When I was tired, I'd go sit at the couch with Jason for a bit and catch up. And that was my MBF for like eight, nine years. That's awesome. Uh, but, you know, over time, like I had some ideas and, and like I, I did PR myself for uh, the forward and regression record. Like I sort of like. Uh, grabbed the bull by the horns and I just started messaging people I'd met and, and just, you know, uh, pitching album streams and whatnot. And uh, it, it got like pretty decently, uh, decent exposure and whatnot. So, you know, Jason hit me up about doing that uh, for the label and, and I did for a while, but, uh, you know, uh, indie metal label is, it only has X amount of budget. And then I moved to LA uh, to pursue my uh, career as a video editor and, and that started taking off and I became too busy with that. So I, I had to stop, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, man, that's pretty much it as far as that goes. All right. But, uh, Fair but enough. It was cool. It was, it was cool working with bands and, 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 you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a lot of politics sometimes with that stuff, but, uh, but still a cool experience. That's interesting. Well, I know, like, I'm not asking you to like air air anyone out or anything, but like, when you say politics, like, what are some things people might not expect working with underground metal metal bands? Uh, you know, working uh, almost like I, I guess as a um, like a networking type of person between different entities in the scene. Um, I won't say that working with the bands wasn't difficult at all. I mean, that was cool. I mean, uh, and sometimes like certain publications, they'll, they'll only want to cover certain things, you know. Uh, which is fair. I mean, I'm, I'm sure their inboxes are filled with like 300 requests a day. Hey, can you yeah. do this band's premiere or put this band in your magazine or whatever? And for me, it was like, ask someone who genuinely loved a lot of these bands I was working with and I thought they were great. Like not being able to get them the exposure that I wanted to get them was a bit, a bit soul crushing for me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, so, you, you know, um, that's more what I went, meant in regards to politics. You know, like okay. there only being so much I can do in this like ADD society we live in where there's like 20 new album streams a day. Uh, you know, <laughs> like there's just so much information out there and just things are being put out constantly. Um, so yeah, yeah, that, 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 that was, uh, that was like kind of the only bummer in regards to that. There's, there, yeah, there's definitely two sides to it <clears throat> and I'm sympathetic to the um the PR people and the and the AR people at labels and and that sort of thing but at the yeah at the same time the the angle the part of it that I saw there was one label in particular that we had uh we tried to work with and it was kind of a situation where I guess they wanted us to to interview two or three of their um uh, lesser known artists, you know, and they would kind of dangle in like, you know, a bigger artist in front of us if we would, you know, play ball that way, but it's like we only do one episode a week um, you yeah. know, and it, it's like it's and and like there was some like artists that like weren't even really in like I had never heard of and weren't really in line, so we we it didn't really pan out for us. We we kind of stay away from any kind of middleman at all. We try to deal directly with the artists uh, when we interview some of the bigger people we've had on. Fuck yeah, man! Yeah. Well, yeah, and I get it. Like for the, for those young bands, it must be frustrating trying to break through. You know, um, yeah, yeah, it, it's a, a not easy. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. 
I guess I got discouraged a few times with like just certain certain like good bands I pitched being being turned down, uh, you know. And, and I don't think any any band I worked with during that time was 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 not worthy of some decent attention, you know. Um, I got I got to work with like Defeated Sanity for a record. Uh, mm. I worked with Piron, which Piron was uh, one of the bands I pitched to Jason to sign. And super stoked on that. I fucking love those dudes. One of my favorite bands currently, honestly. I think they're doing really cool, innovative, uh, fucked up, noisy shit. That band is so sick. Um, and uh, what else? I, oh, I was looking for an answer that I was working with, and I was really bummed I could not get that record more uh, attention, you know? <laughs> uh, and and that, that record they put out was fucking crushing as fuck. It was, it was the last thing they put out, unfortunately. But it was just like really fucking straightforward, uh, amazing production, just grindcore. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, it's it's fucking awesome. It's called Deal Scott and it. It is a cool record. Uh, looking for an answer. Yeah, that that's one band that I kind of have to catch up on. Now, obviously, the name's always been around uh, yeah, yeah, circles, but I'm not I'm not as familiar with them. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking killer. Um, All right. Um. Well, yeah. one of the I don't know, it was one of those things too. Like after a while, I'm like. You know, let me just just stick to the more fun things about music too, instead of the PR behind the scenes shit. I think it was also me trying to fill a void because I wasn't actively playing. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, I I, I question some my relationship with doing this podcast and my relationship with actually just being in the bands. Um, sometimes you know, there's a balance you have to strike. Uh, you, you know what I mean? You have you have to make sure that you're, you're 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 fulfilling yourself at some point with all this underground metal at at some point too, man. Um, I definitely know what you mean with that. But um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about from the Maruda years, um, and I know you did address this, like I said on that other interview I watched, and you kind of um said there wasn't no there was no real explanation or connection. I just wanted to check. I, I got to ask for the listeners. Did you ever find out any connection or um, any context for adult entertainer uh, Mia Khalifa wearing the uh, Maruda shirt um, kind of infamously? Oh, man. I, I always get asked that fucking question. Sorry, bro. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, um, I... I, uh, I um, May or may not have known someone that worked in that industry and allegedly uh, around. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. But uh, man, when that when that came out, and uh, we were putting out "Remain Dystopian," I was sometimes pretty annoyed because there would be like you know some metal website we'd have a new song out. And instead of saying Maruda has a new song, it was Mia Khalifa's favorite band has put this out. And I'm like, Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ, this is so demeaning and obnoxious. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that was cool. Uh, I'm not, not mad about it, but it's uh, just a fun I kind of feel you. I kind of feel you, man, because it's like, I get it. Like, on paper, it's funny, but when it's your band and you want people to take your new song seriously, like, it wears thin, right? Oh, it wore thin so quickly. Yeah. Uh, It was that. It was that. And then another time, like, our original drummer, Nick Augusto, uh, ended up leaving the band because he joined uh, Trivium. Mm -hmm. Um, So he was in Trivium for a while. And that was another thing. It's just Trivium fans going to check us out and going this fucking sucks actually that was the first time <laughs> and the only time in my life i've ever been booed on stage <laughs> wow like, 
<laughs> one time, one time we we got asked to play for Trivium when Nick was still in the band, and we we're like, "Fuck it, why not? Let's do it on a weekend." Uh, you know, in my head, I was picturing maybe there'd be one or two or a dozen, half dozen kids that hear something new and they're like, "Whoa, I've never heard this before!" Fucking blast beats and like weird rips and shit, dude. We fucking played and people were telling us we sucked. We're <laughs> <Get off> <laughs> <laughs> there fucking blasting hard as fuck. And then, and then, you know, we're done playing and I'm sitting behind the birch tables, fucking crickets. No one gave a flying fuck. And I'm like, all right, I'm never doing this again. Wow. I was just, you know, I have a very like, I'll play what fucking ever. I don't care. I'm not elitist in that regard. Like, I just like going out and doing it. And who knows, maybe somebody will discover something new they're into, but that was just a fucking epic fail. Uh, <laughs> huge waste of time. Wow, uh, man. I can't say that I had something similar, but you remind me with the Trivium thing. Um, be, people might know when I was an artificial brain, one of those guys was, was very well regarded for having been in revocation for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, well, the, the, the joke was always like that the revocation fans are going to listen to artificial brain and be like, yo, why is he singing like that? What's this? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least, at least I feel like revocation and like artificial brain are a little more adjacent, you know, at least the, there's like revocation there's... fans were always very well. I'm not, yeah. Revocation fans were always yeah. very supportive. Yeah. We never actually lived that out like you did. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> oh, dude, but like Trivium fans are just like, you know, it's like mostly clean singing and shit. Yeah. It's just like it's a different world. It's like. They're not really, a, they're not a new metal band, but they're like that metal core sort of radio rock. That's that's what I would consider them, you know, very very like radio rock vibes. And it just did not did not cross paths with anything we were doing. Uh, yeah, that was fucking annoying, um, but actually hilarious too in hindsight. So fuck it, whatever, you know. Yeah, I no, I hear you, man. It's all these all these things that are a headache, and then you know, at the end of the day, you look back and you're like, "All right, we got through it, man." It's it is what it yeah. is. Funny yeah, story. Then, then, you know, Nick left the band because he got this opportunity to like be in a band and get paid for it. Granted, and not the ideal music, uh, in my opinion. Uh, you know, whatever. Not my cup of tea. Not not throwing any shade at those guys, uh, but I, I, I get it in a way. He wanted to just fucking make a living playing drums. He did that for a while, so fuck it. I was, I was, I was. I remember being really upset about it at first, but in hindsight, I, it's all good. You know, I don't care. I, I still keep in touch with him, uh, and yeah, as is life. Yeah, hell yeah, man. Um, well, with that being said, man, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, to be respectful of your time, just one more thing before I ask you to to, uh, to get into some music recommendations. The the real fun part here. Um, uh, and we also, you know, as I said, we talked about already about your um, your your new band Shock Withdrawal with your upcoming self titled release this March fourth, uh, the Despair Ratio single available on Bandcamp now for people. Here's one question I got to talk because we did a little tour talk before. I always ask people about different foods you can get. Um, you know, I'm I'm a big fat dude from New York. When I go to different regions, I like to try the barbecue down in Texas. I like to try the the the, the fish tacos out in California. I, you know, I, I I'm I'm corny. I do that. Um, here's one. Here's a question that popped into my head for you. You're from um, uh, uh, Miami, Florida. Uh, you know, you kind of grew up around the the Cuban community there. Have you ever encountered really good cu- Cuban food outside uh, while touring around the United States or around the world? 
huh you know obviously it never is good here's the thing you can't you can't get the cuban bread right anywhere else but miami because okay. there's always just that bakery who's cranking them out constantly and they they, they put lard in the bread I think wow. that's a secret ingredient. Uh, and also, in a day, it is rock fucking hard. You got to eat it fresh, you know. But with that being said, out here in L.A., there's actually quite a few that are good. Just the bread's different. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually even a vegan Cuban spot uh, that I go to because I actually stopped eating meat uh, six years ago. Um, okay. It, Giving up pork was like fucking one of the hardest things in the world, not gonna lie. Uh, it's like that's a human food is just fucking pork upon pork yeah. upon pork. Um, but like there are there are some good spots out here in, in LA. Uh, overall, it's really not something I come across often. Um, yeah, uh, as far as favorite food I like to hit up, it's really, I don't know. I don't know. You know what? I think it's fucking the late night kebab. Late night kebabs, my favorite thing, especially in Europe, because it's plentiful yeah. and just to always get a solid fucking falafel out there. Um, or like being out in Czech Republic and, and drinking goulash, like goulash soup's <laughs> always great. Uh, you know, uh, I had fond memories of uh, Pittsburgh. I don't know if you've ever played Pittsburgh. Have you ever been out there? Yeah, I, I enjoy Pittsburgh. I've been there a few times. Yeah, when when I first discovered Pramonti Brothers, that fucking sandwich, dude. Have you ever had that? I no, I admit I have. I haven't been there. No. Fuck. All right, it's this sandwich with like coleslaw and fries and like you know uh, beef <laughs> in the middle or whatever, and it's nice. stacked big and it's just fucking delicious bar food. But that with a with a few pints of beer. Uh, yeah, Pramonti Brothers. If you're ever in Pittsburgh, uh, highly recommend that. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of like doing the fucking touristy shit, man. I'm in Chicago. I'm gonna eat some fucking hot dogs. You know, I'm in New York. I'm gonna eat some pizza. Uh, you yeah. know, you know yeah. how I be. <laughs> I, no, I, I get you. I'm that way too, man. I, I go up. I go up to Rochester, New York. I get a garbage plate. Um, oh hell yeah! Uh, hell yeah! Shout, shout out to fucking Eric Burke for taking me to eat my first garbage plate uh, <laughs> at three in the morning, uh, dude. Yeah, that that that's the reason to go to Rochester to eat a garbage plate and then see Salako play. Uh, dude, fucking, that, that yeah. you're right. You're correct. That is the reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At, at the Bug Jar, one of my favorite venues. Man, I do. I know too much about Rochester for a guy who lives very far away from there. Great place, though. Um, all right. Well, all right, so I, I got through all that with you, uh, Mitch. And I appreciate your time. So you've heard the show before. You know where I'm going. Uh, as we wind things down, could you recommend for us and for the listeners one older and one newer album by any artist you like, metal or otherwise, and then we'll give you an opportunity to uh, to plug and promote anything I may, I may have failed to bring up? Oh, man, I have to narrow it down to just one. That's it's hard. That's the tough uh, part. I might I might throw a few at you just I'm gonna be I'm, I'm gonna just be me. Uh, okay. But uh, there's there's new grindcore band from North Carolina with some friends of mine called Trauma Block. Uh, the, the EP's not out yet, but they put out two tracks and it's just fucking just sick, just really fast. It's like uh, dudes used to be in a band called Priapus. Uh, oh, I know those guys. Yeah, yeah, pre- yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah Priapus. Dude, tra- tra- trauma Block is fucking sick. Uh, and then there's this band I discovered from Italy not the long ago called Gorch. Huh, uh, that I don't know. Yeah, yeah, dude, it's sort of like that sort of Death Spell Omega, weird uh, black metal vibes. Yeah. Uh, I can't pronounce the name of the record. It's like in- Introverte or something like that. Uh, but check it out. Gorch, uh, G-O-R-R-C-H. 
that record. It came out maybe like uh, two years ago or so. Uh, that shit's pretty sick. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that that's new. Oh, and the new Caveman Colt's fucking great. Got the fucking war metal shit. Got to support fucking Miami homies. Um, okay. Yeah, but as far as an old record, uh, fuck, I'm totally drawing a blank right now. I, I should have prepared myself better. Uh, you know what? I will go with the Synthetics record by Commit Suicide. Wow. Great as fuck. Yeah, yeah, that record, uh, fucking perfect for me. Uh, I, I, I definitely one of my favorite of all time, if I will say. Like, I think that that record, and, and a lot of the bands come from Pittsburgh at that era were very special. Uh, but that commit suicide record fucking kills. Um, one in a million. Oh my god. Yeah, I, I, funny story. Just quickly, I want to say this because because um, just like two weeks ago, I I actually bought that on sale from State of Mind records distribution that's uh, actually from right right here in my town huntington in long island new york um he has a lot of metal and grind and hardcore and stuff like that but i just i own my original copy but i re-bought a brand new copy that i saw he had available just to like have a double up just because mine is mine's a little worn and might be scratched yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's that type of album that you do that with man because it's a it's that is a one in a million death metal album um, I don't even want to use the J word, jazz, because like I feel like it's just implied. Yeah. Like it's not like Mister Bungle or Faith No More death metal. It's it, it, there's just there, it's like in the pocket creepy death metal. It's just yes, awesome, yes. man. Oh, so the, good. The, the drumming is very uh, jazz driven. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, like that's what I mean. Like the drumming, it's a hundred. There is jazz in there, but I don't want people to think it's like some sort of funk metal prog thing. It's so creepy and weird and atmospheric in its own way. What an awesome band, man! You 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 knocked it out the, out out the park on that one. Yeah, there's plenty of blast beats as well, and fucking gutturals and shit. Yeah, so don't get scared. Blast that fucking record if you haven't. You're truly missing out on true gem if you haven't heard. Yeah, beautiful album. Yeah, yeah, commit suicides. <laughs> what a band. dude! You gotta really, you gotta drop an awesome album and be an awesome band to name yourself commit suicide and actually pull it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, dude, I remember, I remember back then because when that band first came out, it was like still the, the day and age of websites and message boards and stuff. Yeah, uh, and they had a website it's like commitsuicide.net. You know, I'd go and, and keep up to date. Uh, obviously, they never toured and played Florida. Uh, like most bands do not. Uh, but I remember going on their message board and there was just a huge crowd of people going, it's never too late. Don't give up on life. Oh. It's not worth it. To-. Like they thought yeah, it was yeah, a yeah. sight enticing people to kill themselves, which is fucking ridiculous. Uh, so yeah, the, the fun, fun fact of the day. Marketing, uh, marketing. It works, man. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> yeah what, what a throwback. That's a great throwback for people to check out though, man. Awesome. Um, all right, so so uh, Mitch Luna, man, I really appreciate your time telling us about um, uh, your history and uh, all, all your different stuff that you've been involved in with uh, Maruda and your catalog and keeping it real with us. And as I said, Shock Withdrawal is your brand new project, uh, March 4th, 2022. People can look out for that um, uh, self-titled release. Anything else that, that you want to plug or promote? Anything I failed to mention about that new band or anything else going on? Uh, off of the top of my head, not really. I mean, we, we're going to be releasing another track or two in the next coming weeks. And, and dude, honestly, just uh, thanks for having me on, Will, man. I, I fucking appreciate it. And thanks to anyone that tuned in. Uh, you know, like I said, always grateful to be be, be a part of this uh, 
ridiculous music and uh, always stoked when I check out new bands and, you know, uh, just fucking keep the momentum going and, uh, you know, blast beats or death. I just fucking <laughs> love this shit and I'm just, you know, stoked, stoked on life, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> as that, corny as that is now. <laughs> you know what man death metal gets you stoked on life when i'm not stoked on life metal keeps me stoked on life for the day so that's that's the that's um i i definitely hear you and i identify with that man i know what you mean um and and Absolutely. i i i appreciate your time we encourage the listeners to check out shock withdrawal and of course all the um the older records and, and bands that we talked about and all the recommendations and everything as we always do uh mitch luna thank you so much for your time brother you have a great night thanks man take care of yourself will Thank you very much to our special guest, Mitchell Luna of Shock Withdrawal, uh, and as we said formerly of the bands Maruda and Noisier, it was cool to hear that. Uh, appreciate his time. Tom, I appreciate your time. How, how you doing over there? Everything okay? Yeah, doing good, man. Really, <laughs> still good. Look at you, man. Snuggled in, man. You've been snuggling up watching movies a lot. You're very comfy. This is what I do at night. <laughs> I want to. I have too much stuff on my plate, so I'm not going to do this. But I would like to one day uh, write movie reviews. But I, I, I expressed this before. I like writing bad movie reviews, like good ones I can talk about. There's a lot of good movies, but a bad review is more informative. Saltman and Ebert at the yeah, movies. Something like that. Okay. All right. Okay. I like it, man. What's interesting, though, is that I'm dressed in sweatpants and an old T-shirt like the guy that wants to watch a movie at home for the night. You are dressed exactly like a lumberjack. Yeah. Yes, I am. And I was the one chopping wood, actually. It's, it's a weird... There's there's all sorts of... We cross the streams a lot. Sure. I'm going to let you go, though, man. What's your pick? Movie pick. Um, so, the theme has been horror for a while, but... A slight change to a thriller drama. It's a metal podcast. The tension behind this film that I want to talk about is uh, unprecedented. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? Wow, that's oh, that's like a a classic. uh, That's that's actually cinema. That's not just a movie. Yeah, I mean, we could talk movies, movies all day, but like this one was unlike anything I expected. I had done some research for my other show about Joan Crawford, and you know, she strange tale with her. Uh, odd woman, beautiful woman, but uh, odd. Uh, her w- women can be odd, just like uh, men. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, that's that's true. And um, look, Betty Davis gives a performance in this movie that you can kind of compare to the sonic stylings of like Portal or something. Mm. It's it's pure insanity. I didn't think what, we were going there that quick. Wow, okay. Yeah, it's it's really tense, man. I I was like on the edge of my seat for two hours and eight minutes hmm. watching this play out. This thing is eerie from the very beginning. Long film. Yeah, it's a long one, but you know, it's worth it. There's a few parts in the movie where you're like, the characters are a little too stupid. <laughs> There's a big setup behind it. Uh, I'll give that away. It's about a... a a pair of star sisters, and one was a big star as a child, and the other one be- grows up and becomes the bigger star. 
and there is an accident. And then it shows them living together after the accident and both of their careers have been destroyed. And the insanity and jealousy and uh, crazy alcoholism and stuff happening wow. in this. It's really dark. I, 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 I was almost surprised. Like comparing this to the typical horror movies of the, of the same time. Uh, things like House on Haunted Hill or something. That was considered pornographic. That was not even as close to as tense as this movie was. Huh. So uh, I, I, I do recommend that one out. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? Interesting. All right, Tom with the curveball here, man. All right. I like that we were sticking with our theme of you coming up with um, kind of like a culturally, intellectually worthy pick and something that, you know, is you know, like kind of like elevating the, 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 the dialogue of our podcast. I recently watched Return of the Living Dead. <laughs> I think that, that further elevates it. I would give a case that that further elevates the... Speaking uh, of movies where the Simba. characters are all too stupid. <laughs> but they're so good. That that movie just plays out so well. You know what you know what I realized watching that movie is that you got to remember I feel like it established a lot of tropes more than it just leaned on them. Like I feel like that movie just went there like the the kind of, like all the punk rock teenagers in the graveyard and the naked girls in the horror movie well, and Nate the, Quigley, the best nude of all time, uh, <laughs> yeah, impressive. She's dancing yeah. around, like yeah, it was. I mean, well, that's what I mean. It was, it's kind of like I felt like this day and age. Watch if you watch it for the first time without context, you could just be like, "Wow, this is the schlockiest of schlocky movies." And you wouldn't be wrong, but I think that they established a lot of those tropes maybe first before you really saw them. I had to. Th- I was reminded in certain some parts of the movie, my favorite uh, movie, Demons. The Italian movie, obviously, yeah. Demon's a lot more serious in some ways. Return of the Living Dead really wearing its humor on its sleeve. Yeah, there's uh, something. You know, there's a little more subtlety behind the Italian humor yes, stuff, yeah. where it's like you're not really sure if they're joking around or not. Yeah, it's still very over the top. Just, just yeah, just kind of like these punk rock people with these crazy costumes and yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. This. Suicide was he has written on the. Is that guy's name Suicide in that movie? They all had funny names like yeah. Suicide and Crash or whatever the fuck. It was, yeah, it was like a Japanese thrash band or something. Yeah. But um, they all had the sick names. But, yeah, I mean, what a movie, man. And then the even the um, the zombies crying brains, brain. Like, I just feel like that ended up becoming kind of a schlocky trope after that. I don't know. It, it really, if it didn't, in, at, like, pioneer a lot of those um, stereotypes. Excuse me, stereotypes that have, that have put forth. I definitely think it like embodied them in a way. Yeah, it's kind of ahead of its time. It's like it was doing yeah. a kind of like judgment call on what to make fun of. What is going to be the funny thing about this? Like when we look back, they I, nailed it. It's like the perfect '80s schlock horror movie. Like I could definitely, definitely see you know people putting that up there with like Monster Squad, Fright Night. Uh, even Lost Boys, just kind of like these movies that are horror movies, but also fun, the type of movie that you put on around Halloween, even if maybe you're not a horror movie person. It's just, you know, it's it's like that stereotype. You don't, it, you're not diving deep necessarily. It's just, it's all there, man. What a fucking weird, crazy movie, man. Love it. Yeah, really Return, of the, Return of the Living Dead, man. What? So, Tom, what else you got? I know you've been, you've been diving deep lately. You got one more? Mm, someone... I don't know much about it, but I saw this like uh, old fifties one called "I Bury the Living." 
Hmm. And I liked the title, so I just clicked on it. And, uh, yeah, it was a cool little story. It was kind of like one of these these 50s, like, Roger Corman-esque, kind of like uh, Twilight Zone-ish premises where a guy is at a cemetery that he's supposed to kind of be the, the head of, like he's the president of some company, and I, I don't know. So anyway, anyway this the, the keeper there has a giant board of all the plots in the cemetery, and all the, the black pins in the plots means that the person's dead and they're in there, and the white ones means that they're reserved. And if you put a black one into the, into the white one, that person ends up dead. It's kind of a cool uh, uh, setup for a film. Weird little button presser type of thing going on. Yeah, exactly. Because the guy did the guy who was doing it and realized it. He was trying to prove to other people it happened, but he didn't want to kill anyone. And so people were uh, like, "Oh, you can put put mine in there. See what happens." Uh-huh. All right, man. I feel like on Long Island that would just become a way for people to gamble. Oh yeah, <laughs> it would just become another gambling. Get thing. in there before the plots get yeah. more expensive. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh my god. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I'm glad. All right, I'm glad we got our little. I like. I enjoy our movie talks, man, because you know it's like this death metal thing goes hand in hand with these crazy flicks sometimes, man. Um, had a good talk with. Uh, uh, shout to the Mega Vomit Afterbirth guys, man. We talked flicks with those guys too, man. Um, but uh, shout out to also to Mitchell Luna, our guest this evening, man. We, we appreciate that. We're going to be looking out for uh, shock withdrawal. We're going to be looking out for, um, uh, of course, his old work in Maruta, if you haven't heard that, man, and Noisier. Uh, and also look out for our voicemail number. Give us, a, give us a call sometime, man. Drop us a line. We don't have many voicemails left to play anymore, man. No, I guess you're all quiet or shy or something. Or- yeah, everybody, wah, wah, I don't want to call. But, so you can send the email, heavyholepodcast at gmail.com. We got the old website, heavyholepodcast.com. You can link up with uh, most of your social medias there. Um, uh, Patreon, we got bonus episodes coming along the way. Tom was nice enough to put up a, a one uh, recently about guitars, uh, guitar solos. Just leads, really. Yeah, that was yeah. a fun one. Yeah, uh, I'm working on a couple of things, as I always say. I know I owe you guys a couple of things, but that's yeah, it, we're man. backed up quite a bit. Thanks. For, anyway, if you, if anyone is a Patreon, they're like uh, upset about this. Just reach out to me. I'll make it right by you somehow. Fair enough, man. And um, what I'm gonna make right right now is this episode by telling you, shout to Justin, um, because even though in our hearts he's here, we are down one. <laughs>